Hey, what's up, guys? It's Joel. If you guys haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Heat vs. the World podcast. And now, stand up and make some noise for your host, Joel Jacob. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Heat vs. Pro podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joel Jacob, and you can follow me on Twitter at JoelKJacob underscore. With me always, I got some guests. First, we got Miami Flash PE and Jimmy Bucket. Say what's up to the people, guys. What's up, everybody? It's Miami Flash PE on Twitter. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's your boy, Jimmy Bucket. Follow me on Twitter, Jimmy Bucket, four Zs at the end. And then following them, we got Jake Talk and Jake Wild. Say what's up to the people, guys. What's up, guys? Twitter, my, my Twitter is Jay Talk. You can just call me Jay, though. And, yo, what's going on, guys? Jake Wild here. You can catch me out on Twitter at Wild Thoughts. And then following them, I will say what's up to Heat vs. the World audience, Jules, and our female correspondent, Angelina Martel. Hi guys, it's Jules, aka 305Hero on Twitter. What's going on guys, it's Angelina Martel. You can follow me on Twitter at Angie Martel with two E's for all your latest Miami Heat updates. And then following them, we have a very special guest. We have for you a two-time champion with the Miami Heat, someone who is still a familiar face for Heat fans to this day. He runs his own podcast called Believe in Miami Heat and currently plays in the LMB Pro A League. Say what's up to the Heat vs. the World audience, Mr. Norris Cole. What's going on? Glad to be here. Appreciate you guys having me. Cold-blooded. Let's go. Thank you, man. So without further ado, let's just get started. So first thing I want to ask you, Mr. Cole, is... You know, you have probably one of the most unique careers out of a lot of players in the NBA. And one question that I've always wanted to ask you was, you know, for you as a rookie, I'm sure you probably had a lot of pressure on you being drafted into a Miami Heat team that had three superstars in LeBron, D. Wade, and Chris Bosh and all of them. So I wanted to know, how was it like knowing that a lot of eyes were on you and all that? Actually, man, it was fun. Um, you know, as you know, I had a, a lockout my rookie year, so I didn't have a traditional training camp. But, um, you know, the season started on Christmas Day, which was great. Um, I got my first basketball rim, my first official size basketball rim on Christmas. Um, my grandfather had got it for me, like, 
years and years ago. I, I think I had to be like nine years old, but he gave me my first real basketball rim on Christmas. And so for me to play my first NBA basketball game on Christmas was like very like ironic and exciting. But to play on that type of team, uh, it was fun. I want all I wanted to do was prove that um, I belong, and I wanted th those guys to trust me out there on the court. For sure. And then let's see. And you got a question you want to ask? Yes, I do. I just want to say thanks so much for taking the time to come on. We're really grateful and thankful to have you on. And my question for you is, what was it like winning two back-to-back -back championships in your first and second year on the Miami Heat and let alone the NBA? Like, that must have been crazy for you. Like, you just got drafted and you're just like, yo, I just won two back-to-back -back championships. You know, like, this is crazy. How did that all feel for you? Honestly, that's all I really knew. I didn't know how to feel. I, it was like, it was my reality. It was like my norm. So to come in my rookie year and win a championship, that was like, okay, this is what the NBA is like. <laughs> this is this is how it is. And my teammates always would tell me like, no, this is not normal. Nor it's like, this is not normal. But for me, <laughs> it was normal until we finally lost. And then I was like, okay. Winning is not normal. You know, winning the championship every year is not normal. But until then, up until that point, you know, having those two championships, it was like it was my norm. And it was wild. It was exciting, obviously. It was, you know, a great time in Miami. As you guys know, the city was buzzing. But for me, it was like it was like a dream come true. And it was the norm for me. It's, it's all that I really had known up until that point. Yeah, that, that, so so cool. I kind of want to touch on on that as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, you come right out, right out of school. Um, you're a first round pick, but for most players, you know, rookie year is a lot about development. It's a lot about getting your feet wet. You know, getting right. through those, getting through that first season, that 82 game season, which is very long. But you were you were ready day one. I think a, a big moment that all Heat fans remember is that first home game uh, against the Celtics. <laughs> uh, when you came in and, and pretty much single-handedly won the game, I mean, pretty sure you had like 18 points or 19 points in the fourth. And just it, it was a really fun moment. And we knew right away that you'd be a contributor. H how did that feel? And and obviously with playing with the big three, how did it feel knowing that you were going to be, you know, playing at a high level with those guys right away? Man, it felt so good, bro, because I had watched so many games and it was on TNT. And I had used to watch the games, and was I was like, I always wanted to get interviewed by Craig Sager. You know, shout out to Craig Sager and his family. Um, but, yeah, I had always wanted to get, you know, interviewed by him. And that first home game, Heat Nation was unbelievable, first of all, because you, you, we all know about the rivalry with Miami and Boston, you know, with the big three versus our big three. And so to feel the energy in the building and to be able to perform – and for the coach and the players to have the trust in me to have me out there, you know, during the fourth quarter, during big minutes, you know, it was it was great for me, man. It, it, it's kind of what I was used to in college. Um, you know, I was used to having the ball in my hands and things of that nature. And for it to happen, like D-Wade and LeBron, they were passing me the ball and I was able to make some shots. It was kind of cool because normally, you know, they take those shots. You know, they, they scored a big points in the fourth quarter, but – for them to trust me in that in that game, in that environment, and for me to be able to, you know, make some plays for the team, it was fun. And then to get that interview with Craig Sager, it was 
that topped it all off. That was pretty cool. Definitely. Very cool moment. The Flash, what about you? You got a question you got to ask Norris? Yeah. Hey, Norris. So you've been in for with the Heat with a, for a bunch of years, and but you've also been a part of other NBA teams, and now you're overseas. I wanted to ask you, how does the Heat culture, all the way from Pat Riley, all the way down to the trainers and the staff, differ from other teams that you've been part of in your career? Yeah, so the heat culture is definitely real. <laughs> it's definitely real. It's it's based off of consistency and discipline. If I had to choose two words, we were very consistent in our work ethic and what we do and very disciplined in our approach of doing things. So, you know, obviously the weight and body fat, you know, we get checked weight and body fat every week. Um, the, the conditioning program is <laughs> – world renowned everyone knows that the Miami Heat conditioning program is you know second to none um the training staff they they do their jobs the uh, the managers do their jobs everyone does their job everyone's focused on doing their job and doing it the best of their abilities and when you have an organization from top to bottom that's held accountable to that standard you have a first class organization and so it's definitely unique there they definitely have their own way of doing things and I'm I'm glad to be a part of, uh, you know, the heat culture. After that, Jimmy Buckets, what's your question? Absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Norris. Thank you so much. Um, I was wanting to know, I've heard that one of your favorite players when you were growing up was LeBron, if not one of your favorite player. I'm not sure if it's your favorite player or one of them, but I've heard he's, he's been up there. So what was it like playing with one of your favorite players and how did, playing with him and being around him change your game and yourself on and off the court? Yeah, so, you know, LeBron was from Ohio. And so just the fact that he was from Ohio, he was one of my favorite players. He was my favorite player in the NBA, you know, once he once he entered the league. You know, MJ was my is my all-time favorite player, and then T-Mac was my favorite player at the time. He's my, then, T-Mac's mine. And then when LeBron <laughs> – Yep, and then when LeBron got drafted into the NBA, it went from being T-Mac to LeBron, you know, just because he was from Ohio. And so for me to be able to play, you know, play in the NBA with another fellow Ohio guy and then a guy who was, you know, my favorite player in the league, uh, it was it was really cool, man. It was, But that kind of changed once I entered the NBA because it went from being, like, my favorite player as, like, a, as a fan to being, like, my coworker. So – you know, we had a job to do. And so even though it was – even though he was, like, my favorite player, when I came to work every day, it was like, you know, we have a job to do. And so, I, you know, I had to snap out of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I got a similar question. Like, in the 2013 season, you know, LeBron had one of the best individual seasons of all time. Like, how was mm-hmm. it seen down in front of you, Norris, like, as his teammate? Man, it's – it's almost like a movie. It's almost like you're living in a movie because you always, you know, see documentaries of like, you know, Jordan and Kobe and, you know, the old, the, the older players that came before. But to be actually on the court and in the locker room while these things are going on, it's like you're living in real time, like living in a movie. And you know, just to be a part of it and to be able to have some of those plays and highlights and share some of those moments with him. You know, it was it was it was remarkable. You know, it was definitely 
No, he's definitely, you know, should probably have more MVPs. But to be able to be in that season, to see the things that he was capable of doing, you know, it was great to be a part of that. Got robbed of, the, of a defensive player of the year, too, that year. Man, 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 that was that was bad. The NBA did him wrong that year. Definitely. <laughs> and then, um, Norris, another question I want to ask you. Um, you know, the 2013 Heat team, that's probably one of the best teams in NBA history, you know. And one of the main reasons why was because you guys did one of the most impossible things a team could do and that's when 27 games straight how did it feel being constantly in the media you know with people challenge with t- other teams wanting to challenge you guys and try to end that streak well to be honest with you when we were on the streak we never talked about it we never once like mentioned it we never talked about it or discussed it we just you know we were taking it one game at a time because you got to remember during those times it was championship or bust. So, you know, no matter what happened in the regular season, the expectation was to win a championship. And so we never talked about it. The only time we talked about it was when it was over. When we finally lost that first that first game after winning 27 straight, we acknowledged it. We had like a little moment in the locker room. And then after that, you know, we said, let's go win the championship now. And that's, you know, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Dan, what about you? You got a question? Yes, I do. Um, you know, there's this one. It's an iconic play that you broke Derrick Rose's ankles in the 2013 game versus Chicago. <laughs> How did that feel? I know you were probably you probably felt on top of the world at that moment because I still rewatched that clip. And I'm like, oh my god. You know, it's it's a it's a great one. It really is. It's a great one. <laughs> it's funny because during the game, you know, when you make a play. You know, you don't really react to it. Like when I made the play, I didn't really know. Like I didn't really know what happened to him. You know, I knew I made a good move and created separation, but I didn't really know that he really fell down like that. Um, but I mean, it was cool. I mean, the the fan reaction, the fans were more excited about it than I was. You know, I was just out there, you know, playing ball. You know, I'm used to, you know, I'm used to being able to, you know, make a nice move on people and be able to create a shot. You know. You know, that's what I practiced for in the summertime. But for it to be the fact that it was Derrick Rose, who's obviously, you know, he was one of the best players in the league at the time before his injuries. And, uh, you know, it was, it was cool to be able to make a shot over him. But, you know, I think the fans, <laughs> the fans in Heat Nation enjoyed it, you know, more than I did. I was just out there playing ball. And, you know, I made a nice move. And the, the the best part was making the shot because it doesn't count if you don't make the shot. So I just wanted to. When I heard the crowd go, ooh, I had to make sure I concentrated to make the shot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was it's still great to this day, honestly. But oh yeah, no, nah, that's just a pretty <laughs> cool highlight for sure. It's definitely a cool highlight. It's similar to Olenek breaking Brooke Lopez's ankles in that game against Milwaukee. Everyone was like, ooh, and then he had to hit the three, and it was just like everyone was like, ah. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> the ooh, the ooh without the ah don't count. Yeah, exactly. You, you got to go 100. You just can't do 50. Yep. So I wanna I wanna ask you a little bit about the repeat. Um, obviously something that I believe is only done. It's only been done not by by six different franchises, I believe, or five different franchises. Essentially, one of the most rarest, one of the most rare feats that a team can possibly accomplish. And you know, whenever you hear a guy talk about a repeat, they always say that second year 
you know, getting back there because everyone's gunning for you and actually winning that second one is harder than the first. Uh, I wanted to see if you agreed with that and also get some of, you know, if you had any thoughts on kind of what that second year and how that, what that repeat felt like and how you were able to accomplish it. Yeah. So that second year was definitely tough. You know, I think during the whole big three era, you know, every, every team was trying to give their best shot at us, but, um, you know, that second year was definitely tough coming up, coming after a long season to be able to, you know, regroup, um, shorter off season, obviously by playing through all the way through June to be able to regroup, refocus, stay humble, you know, and do it again, because that feeling that you get when winning a championship, man, it's like, it's a feeling that you always are striving to get to again. And that's what we wanted. We was like, we want to get to that you know, to that finish line again, but there is a process. And so we wanted to make sure we didn't skip any steps. You know, we didn't take any shortcuts. You know, even when we retired, we still, you know, had practice. We still had our shoot arounds. You know, we didn't skip any steps. And that's, I think that's what I learned the most from winning those back-to-back championships is that if you want to do something special, you do things consistently every single day. And that's what we did. We practiced hard every day. We we got our treatment every day. You know, we got our extra shots in every day. Um, we got our proper rest that we were supposed to get. And we enjoyed each other. Like, we enjoyed those moments, you know, like the Harlem Shake videos and, you know, all the epic moments, the alley-oops, the, the, the photo bombing and everything that we were doing. We were working hard, but we were having fun while we were doing it. And I think that's what made it, you know, made it so special. Nice. Uh, speaking of that second championship, there was the one of the most iconic games or moments in Heat history, if not the most iconic, Game 6 in 2013. Right. So there was probably down by three with a few seconds left on the clock. And rebound Bosch back out to Allen, his three-pointer, bang. What was the atmosphere bang! in there? Yeah. Yeah, what was the industry in there like and what was going through your mind during that whole sequence? Because I know the the, uh, the 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 yellow rope was coming out, right? They thought it was over. Fans were leaving. Yeah. That happens. Everyone thought it was over except us. We we was taking it one play at a time. Coach drew up a play. You know, at first I was like, okay, LeBron going to make this three. When he missed, I saw Chris get the rebound. When he threw it out to Ray, man, I just knew it was going in. It was like Ray had made so many tough shots. For Boston Celtics, for Supersonics, for Milwaukee, we had seen Ray make these shots all the time. So I was like, in my mind, I say, it's his time to make the big one for us now. And so, as soon as he let it go, I had a great angle, and I just like, I just knew it was going in. So, you know, my I always believe in if you think positive, positive things are gonna happen. So I had no doubt it was going in, and when it went in, it was like pandemonium, like you said. James, Bosch, rebound, kick out the Allen, bang! It was like crazy in there. <laughs> oh man, I still I get chills when I watch it to this day. That's my favorite game of all time, by far. Yeah, that was great, man. That's like the best shot. That's like one of the best shots ever in finals history. Ever, I think yeah. it is the best. It's the, the best. best, yeah, by far. All the circumstances, the kind of winner go home. It, I, I have no problem saying it's the best shot in NBA history. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely. I would say it's, if it's not the best, it's definitely top top two. 
watching it on your TV is one thing, but being there firsthand to experience it, like being on the team, watching him from the van. Oh, my God. That must have been crazy for you. Oh, man. Super adrenaline rush. Your heart's racing. You're like, is he going to hit it? Is he not going to hit it? And when he hits it, it's like almost a sigh of relief. But it's just like so much is happening. You're like, ah. You know what I mean? It's hard to like describe because like I obviously I wasn't there, but man, my vertical inch increased by like 15 inches. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey Norris, I want to ask you about something else that's kind of funny to me. And that's uh that's poor poor Jeremy Lynn and the defense you guys <laughs> played played on him on February twenty-third, two thousand twelve at American Airlines Arena. So now I know defense is huge for you, man. Uh, Horizon League Defensive Player of the Year at Cleveland State. Monster, monster defensive guard. If if nobody has watched Norris, go back, watch his film on YouTube. Just just puts the clamps on. And him and Mario decided that night that Lynn Sanity was not coming in the American Airlines Arena. So my question to you is, you guys held him to eight. You guys held him to one of 11 and forced him into eight turnovers. Like, what was your game plan for that night? And I'm pretty sure that you and Mario single-handedly ended Lynn Sanity. Yeah, the game plan was just that. No Lynn Sanity tonight. That was, <laughs> that was the attitude. Lynn Sanity ends tonight. Because, you know, obviously that was the biggest phenomenon in, like, in NBA history, what he was doing. Like, what he yeah. did, his the run that he went on is the best run of all time, like in the NBA, like the, the things that he was able to do. And so, you know, it was great to, to watch, to watch him do that against other teams. But for us, it was like, okay, it's enough is enough, not against us. And that's, that's the attitude, you know, me and Rio had. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. That was, that was, that. Uh, that was honestly one of my favorite defensive games of all time. Uh, playoffs or regular season, anything. I, I was just going crazy that game. I was like, yes, no more Lynn Sanity around here. Get him, Cole. Get him, Rhea. That was awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, that was truly what they say, how they say, a, a defensive spectacle that night. That was crazy. We have no choice. I mean, huh, either do that or watch Lynn Sanity on your own home court. <laughs> you know, we didn't, we didn't want that to happen. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Norris, I just want to speak of another iconic heat moment. Uh, so Chalmers gets a steal half court, and then he passes it to you, one of you, Wade or you, and then somebody throws a lob to Jameson Dunks on Jason Terry. How did that feel? Like seeing that, like literally in front of your eyes, like two feet away from it. Oh man! So, so at first it was bad because I turned the ball over. <laughs> I, I turned the, I turned the ball over, and I was trying to get the steal right back, and then D Wade back tipped it to to Rio. Rio threw it to me, and I had a chance to lay it up, but I seen LeBron trailing in the corner of my eye, you know, so it was like either I could lay it up, maybe it was going to be a, a contested layup maybe, or I can throw the lob. I seen LeBron running full speed. I'm like, oh, he running full speed. And then I throw the lob, and he could dunk it. And so you know, I, I threw the lob. I didn't think it was going to be as, like, memorable as it was because after he dunked it, as you can see, we didn't really show too much emotion. The bench went crazy, but on the court – you know, we didn't show too much emotion because we were so locked in, but it's like the next year they replayed at the anniversary, and then the next year, and then the next year, and here it is, nine years later, they still talking about it. It was like, wow, it's, it's crazy how one play, one great play can live forever, and, and that's kind of how that play was. Right, right, right. Thank because you. to me, to me, that's not the best lob I've ever thrown to LeBron, but to everyone else, that's the most memorable one. So it was like, 
man, it's kind of crazy how one moment can live forever. What about that was that a crazy scene. Um, from Dwayne to LeBron, the bounce pass, the iconic photo. Yeah, yeah, that was. But see, that that, that was that was a nice snapshot. But even that wasn't. It was the timed best. perfectly. Yeah, man, that that was great camera camera action. You've been engraved in a lot of history, Norris. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna live on forever, man. You're gonna live on forever, <laughs> Bro, Thanks, for bro. real. Yeah, for real in history, man. Forever. Man, I've been blessed and fortunate, man. My career is, you know, I've been blessed to be able to play in some great places and some great environments and some great moments. Norris, quick question on that note. Um, so obviously you being a player that, you know, one of the toughest defenders I've ever seen um, on a team that stresses defense, by the way. So I'm sure they appreciated that. Uh, but who was the hardest player you ever, ever had to defend or maybe, you know, one of the guys that comes to mind is just someone that no matter what you did kind of can get their bucket no matter what. Derrick Rose, when he was healthy, was the hardest person to guard. For sure. Derrick Rose, Derrick Rose was the hardest person to guard, bro. Yeah. He was, he was unstoppable. Because, because if you played the perfect defense as a point guard, he could still just jump right over you and shoot a floater right over the top of you. Plus, you know, his balance and coordination. Like, first of all, he could dunk over the help. Like, you would guide him to the help, and he would dunk on the center that's supposed to be helping for you. So it was like, <laughs> you know, he he, he he had he had everything for a point guard, bro. You could, you could just – he was fast. He was poised, under control, good balance. He had good touch shots. Like I said, floater, mid-range, layups, dunks. And when he got in rhythm, he could also hit threes as well. So – I would say Derrick Rose by far was the hardest player I had to guard. And then later on, later on it became like like Steph, you know, when I played like in New Orleans, when Steph was on that hot run for MVP and stuff, it had become Steph. But Derrick Rose for sure was the hardest person to guard. He was He's better. When he was healthy, he's better than every guard in the NBA for sure, even to this day. Wow. It took it's a very special player to to take away MVP from LeBron in his first year in Miami. Yeah, I mean, and, and that was that was kind of controversial as well. I mean, <laughs> he he had an MVP season, but I mean, LeBron had had those same stats basically the year before and had one MVP. He had one, I think. Well, LeBron won three MVPs in a row or something like that, or four in five years, four four MVPs in five seasons, something like that. And they didn't give it to him that year because, uh, you know, he came down to Miami because he could have very well won it that year as well. But, yeah, Derrick Rose at – what was he? How old was he? 20, 21 years old? Yeah. He's the youngest MVP in NBA history? Yes, sir. Yeah, so that just shows you how special he was, man. And he was – the scary part was he was just getting started because he was like – he was young. He was 22, by the way. 22, yeah. Still the youngest the youngest ever, though. Yeah. They don't make them like that. It would have been crazy to see what would have happened if he had never got hurt, just to see the potential and how he might, he probably would have more MVPs. Oh, yeah. Well, we don't know because LeBron is still in the NBA. Let's not forget that. (laughs) (laughs) True that. True that. The Eastern Eastern Conference would have definitely still been the more dominant conference with him healthy because it would have been Chicago, us. Uh, Boston and Indianapolis, that would have been a gauntlet just to get out of the East. Yep. Yep. So then, um, so Mr. Cole, a question I want to ask you is, 
you know, being a part of a team as memorable as the 2012-2013 Heat, is there anything specific about that team? You know, aside from the success, that's something that you're going to treasure with you for the rest of your life? Yeah, the thing I the thing I think I'm going to treasure other than like the basketball parts is learning from those guys. Each of those guys had a brand. Each of those guys were professional. Each of those guys had things that they had going on outside of the court. And I was able to see and notice and learn and ask questions about all of that. And I'm now able to apply that now that I'm a veteran, you know. But those guys were very professional in their day-to-day approach to their their craft of basketball and their businesses and their brands. And also the the fun times we had, you know, just with the fellas, you know, we had team, you know, team get together where it was just us or us and the families. And bro, we had, we just had good time as people, you know, listening to music, um, you know, dancing, telling jokes, you know, and things of that nature. It was, you know, it was something that, you know, it was something that I'll never forget. And for me to be so young, and get that experience, you know, it's something that I'll take with me. And when I play, you know, since I've played on other teams, you know, especially as the veteran guy, I try to pass down some of the knowledge and experiences that I, that I've had, you know, and try to incorporate some of the things that we used to do on those teams. I try to incorporate that on other teams that I've played on. Mm-hmm. Then let's see, moving forward, before we change the topic, does anyone else have any questions they want to ask? Or I got I got one that I really wanted to ask. Um, so obviously, when you were with the Heat, uh, Pat Riley had a, you know, as he still does, but had his fingerprints all over the organization. Do you have any Pat Riley moments and any, any memories you could share? Uh, any Pat Riley moments? Uh, Pat was just always in, intense, you know. He was always intense. Anytime he talked, it could be, it could be about something fun, and it still sounds intense with Pat. <laughs> uh, it's not any in particular. I mean, it's some, but some of the things that when he talked, it was just for us, just for the family, just for the players. And so I'm, I'm going to keep that, you know, keep that private between the, us, the players, but. You know, everything. Every time Pat talked, it was like very, very intense. But Pat also knew how to have a good time. And when it was party time, <laughs> Pat was front and center and always made sure we had a great time. And so, yes, he's serious, but he also knows how to have a party. Ain't no, <laughs> ain't no party like a Pat Riley party. <laughs> Godfather himself. <laughs> yes, the Zen man. <laughs> So then moving forward, so now, you know, uh, Norris, I know you still love to talk about the Heat in your podcast. So obviously we got to bring up this year's Heat team. So one of the questions I want to ask you is like, you look at this Heat team this year, they're clearly not like the teams you were a part of when you were in Miami. So you look at this Heat team right now, what's your thoughts about it? Well, obviously they have some room to grow. Um, coming off of last season, they had a, you know, they had a great run last season. This season, they, you know, they've had, a, you know, a tough time being consistent, but this year has been an awkward year, you know, no training camp, you know, not no extra time to, to, to get to know each other through practices and, you know, 
those training sessions that are vital before the season. And I think that's kind of played a role, especially, you know, with the coronavirus. But I'm also excited in the potential of this team, you know, with Jimmy and with Bam. You know, they bring a lot of experience, a lot of high-level, high-caliber play. And I believe that they can lead this team in the right direction once we get to the postseason. So, you know, the team has been inconsistent so far, but I also believe that when it's time to, you know, when it's time to play in the playoffs, I believe that no one is, nobody is going to want to play against the Heat. Mm-hmm. Especially with yes, Jimmy, he has that he has that switch, doesn't he? Oh, that little man. playoff switch. Yes, he does. What Drake say? Yeah. I just flipped the switch. <laughs> Zero to a hundred, real quick. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Norris. My question for you is. Who's winning the MVP Defensive Player of the Year and Coach of the Year, Convo, in your opinion, and why? <laughs> so Defensive Player of the Year, I'm going to have to go with um, – I got two names. I got Bam. Hey. Bam out of Bayou. Bam out the Bayou. Yep. He's having a great defensive season, but you also have um, – you also have Ben Simmons, who's also having a great defensive season as well. So I would say Bam or, or Ben Simmons for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, for MVP, that's tough because a lot of a lot of people are hurt, you know. But the the Joker, you know, he's played in every single game. He's averaging, I think, twenty. What is he averaging? Twenty six, eleven, and nine, something like that. You know, and he's played in every single game. But before before anybody got hurt, I was gonna say that um, Joel Embiid and uh, LeBron were were front runners for MVP. But since they've been hurt, I definitely have to say the Joker, the Joker for MVP right now, and Coach of the Year. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, Coach of the Year, you know what? I'm gonna have to say it's Tom Thibodeau. What he's doing in New York right now, they they're very relevant. You know, they're on a six game win streak. You know, no one expected them to turn it around this quickly. Um, I would have to say Tibbs, man. Tibbs has done a great job this season turning the New York Knicks around. I think they're on an eight game win streak, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're probably right. Probably is eight game win streak. Mm-hmm. But yeah, still. And crazy. then um, just so quick thing, I just want to go on that answer, um, Norris. So. One person who's been a favorite for Defensive Player of the Year is Rudy Gobert. And, you know, it's been kind of controversial because people, there are people who are high on him and then there are people who aren't. We even had Eric Reed himself say that not that he's Defensive Player of the Year, but MVP in general. So it's interesting to see how people's views of him go. So is there any reason why you didn't include Rudy Gobert as your um as the possible winner of defensive player of the year? Well Rudy Gobert, he's uh he's obviously a great shot blocker, rim protector um for Utah Jazz. He has been for a long time now, but I think the versatility of Bam and the versatility of Ben Simmons is what separates them. You know, Ben Simmons can guard literally one through five. You know, Bam can you know, obviously guard and switch off on, you know, one through five. And so when you talk about being able to guard multiple positions at a high level, uh, you know, those two guys are just distinctly different. 
Obviously, he's an elite shot block. Like I said, he anchors the defense very well. And, you know, for those who believe that he should be, I, I understand their argument. But when you see how Ben Simmons guards the point guard and then he can also guard the center and the same Bam starts off the game guarding the center and then they switch everything and he switches off and guards the point guards and how, how effective he is, I think it's just undeniable to to say that, you know, Bam and Ben Simmons are not the two most complete defenders in the league right now. Right. And then, Jake, what about you? So, uh, obviously, you know, back when you played under Eric Spolstra, the NBA was very different. Yes. Uh, you, you knew that, obviously, towards, you know, the middle years of your career when things started to shift a little bit and the three, the three ball became it. If you weren't hitting threes, you're not winning. That's just end of story. So, and obviously, you know, when you play with the Heat under Spo, you know, have, things having changed, I kind of wanted to get your perspective on how you feel like Eric Spolster as a coach has evolved. Because when you were when you were playing under him, you know, he was kind of an unknown. He was pretty unknown. Everyone knew he was the video coordinator who came out and right. You know, he was young. He was young. Impressive. Yeah, but now when you think of Spo, he's of the best, if not the best, coach in the league. You know, him and Pop. So I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on how you feel as he's evolved as a coach. Well, I think exactly that he's evolved. He he's evolved. He's not one dimensional. He's he's been able to adjust to his personnel. He's done a great job of you know player development, um, communicating to to his teams. Well, the style of play, what he's looking for, and them being able to go out and execute that. He's instilled confidence in his guys. Um, he's he's you know he's just grown. You know you can see. From his first years to now, he's gotten better every single year. And that has to do with the Heat culture, consistency and discipline. He's very consistent in his work ethic. He's very disciplined. And that shows on his teams. Teams He's had teams that were not as talented but still won a lot of games. You know, And he's also shown when he has very talented teams, obviously he can, he can win championships. So... No, he's a complete coach now. He's a seasoned veteran coach now, and um, I'm, you know, I'm happy that I was able to, you know, be able to, you know, play for him because he's definitely going into the Hall of Fame. Yep. Yeah. Easy. Okay. So, Norris, I wanted to ask you. You you've been so blessed to play with a bunch of all-time greats, and you've also been blessed to play with a bunch of all-time great shooters like Ray Allen, Shane Battier, and my personal favorite of all time, Mike Miller. Um, don't forget, and I don't wanna... forget James Jones. Don't forget James Jones. James Jones. Now. Jones. <laughs> By the way, the job he's been doing in the Phoenix has been amazing so far. Um, but job. you've been playing with these really great shooters, and now this these few years you're, you look at this Heat team with Duncan Robinson – how does his style of play and the way what he has been doing compare to those greats that you've played with before? Well, he's he's obviously younger at a younger point. When those guys got to the heat, those guys were like super vets. And so they didn't get as many attempts as he gets now. And because the NBA has changed as far as the amount of shots per possession and things of that nature, the percentage of shots being three-pointers, uh, Duncan, he shoots a lot more threes than they did. And actually, <laughs> the offense is ran, you know, obviously it's ran through Jimmy and ran through Bam, but the offense is geared towards getting as many three-point looks for Duncan as possible. 
Whereas mm-hmm. our team, you know, our team was, you know, LeBron and D-Wade, you know, get as many looks as they need and create for others. And that's the biggest difference. But Duncan can shoot it. He can flat out shoot it, man. And, you know, you can tell that by he, he was struggling a little bit earlier this season. But his confidence didn't waver. He kept shooting, kept shooting. And now he's been, ever since the trade deadline is over, man, he's been shooting lights out. <laughs> and so, you know, I think he, obviously he's going to be, he's already like the top three-point shooter, if not one of the top in franchise history. I think by the time it's all said and done, if he stays with the team, he will be. He'll have all the three-point records for sure. Because just because of the times that we play in, you know, the three-point shot is, very important. Yeah, I think if Duncan stays at 40% through the rest of the season, I think he's going to be the third player to ever do it and twice. And that was that's just Steph Curry Thompson. That's it. So that's very impressive what he's doing, being a non-ball handler. He's elite. He's what you call a marksman. He's an elite shooter. Yep. Yeah. And then, Jimmy Buckets, what about you? I just wanted to, to give my man Norris Cole a shout out to everybody listening. For those guys who don't know and gals who don't know, this man, he's got two high school state championships. He's had his college jersey retired at Cleveland State, where he was the Horizon Player of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year in the same year. And he also has two NBA championships with our Miami Heat, which is amazing. So I have a, I just wanted to shout you out real quick for those that don't know what championship pedigree this man has, uh, this is it. So <laughs> I appreciate that, bro. I appreciate For sure, that. man. I've, I've been following you since Cleveland State. I was so glad when we picked you up, like so stoked. Like I was like, man, like super. Stoked. So it's just it's just so, so cool being able to talk to you on here once again. Um, I kind of have a two-part question for you. First of all, I'm so glad that you didn't mention that French fraud in the top two of your defensive players of the year. And uh, my question hey, is, hey, 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 easy, easy. <laughs> I live in France now. I got I I <laughs> no, I know. I can't I'm just let you say that. I can't let you say that. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take, I'll take yeah. that. I'll take that back. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what all Shout the out to all the listeners out there. By the way, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't, we can't do that. We can't this do is that. a French-friendly podcast. Do not worry. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. That's that's everybody's joke on Twitter. Um, but my question for you is. Uh, what similarities and differences in any way do you see between the Heat teams that you played on and our current Heat team, especially on the defensive side of the ball? Um, well, the similarities I see are the defensive intensity. Um, we played at a high level defensively. The Heat all year have played at a high level defensively. Um, they have players that take – take pride in playing defense and obviously coach Bo is the, you know, he's a, he's the common denominator, you know, he's the coach for both teams. So those are similarities, uh, differences. Um, our team was built off of, um, star power. You know, we relied heavily on our big three to create, you know, offense. And we had a lot of veteran, you know, support role players, a lot of high level veteran role players who, who are battle tested. Um, this, you know, this Miami Heat team is, you know, younger, a um, lot more youth, a lot more three-point attempts. Um, they play, you know, they play a different style offense um, with, you know, dribble handoffs and through Jimmy Butler and, 
through Bam out of Bayou and Duncan Robinson. So, you know, those are those are the, the biggest, you know, differences. Um, the one thing that's all always the the same in Miami Heat culture is we expect to win. You know, when we win, it's not an accident. When we win, it's no surprise. Whoever puts on that jersey, that's what we expect. We expect to win. And so I think that's the common denominator. But I think because of the times, the times were different, you know, when when we when when we was going on our run and now now everyone thinks they have to shoot a lot of threes, you know, think they have to score a lot of points. And the heat actually is still unique when it comes to believing in defense and, and believing in cutting the possessions down, you know, and not just running and gunning like the rest of the NBA does. So shout out to Spo for not being too trendy, but that's the biggest difference though, the three point attempts. Speaking of commentators from then and now, uh, you, I want to talk a little bit about Captain on his hat. How do you think you've you've been around him in a locker room? How do you think he this team just being a presence in the locker room? Well, you he's a he's a pro. He's a pro's pro, and um, he's setting the example. Um, he's 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 a verbal leader now, and he's also setting the example every day, coming to work ready. You know, if Spo knows that if he throws UD in the game for more than 10 minutes, he's going to have 10 points and 10 rebounds. That's just a fact. That's just what's going to happen if he plays double-figure minutes. So he's always ready, and he's setting that good example. And I think that the young players are fortunate to have an OG like that who's who's battle-tested, who's seen it all, done it all, who's from the Miami area. Um, you know, UD, UD was a <laughs> – he was a great example when I was there too, because you know, I was like a smaller version of him. <laughs> I was, you know, feisty, aggressive. I didn't fear anyone. You know, I believe that if you put me in the game for a certain amount of time, I was going to have a certain amount of production. And so, you know, I, I appreciated UD because he he relied on hard work, and that's what I was about. And so, I think he's he's setting that same example for the for the young guys there now and. Obviously, when he's done playing, his number 40 is going up, up in the rafters. Without Easily. a doubt. Without a doubt. On, on a similar note, uh, Norris, so you talked about this a little bit just previously. I wanted to touch upon it again. Um, about the vets that we have now versus, you know, when you played with the Heat. Um, obviously, guys like Shane Battier, guys like Ray Allen, guys that have been there, done that. Guys like Battier specifically that can just come in and apply the clamps and, and play on the highest level of both offensive and defensive IQ of anyone. How, how would you, you know, could you could you talk and, and touch upon the importance of a guy like Andre Iguodala or a Trevor Ariza to to this Heat team and to like actually trying to be true contenders um, with that kind of experience? Well, that's why those guys were bought in. You know, you got to have guys that are battle tested. You got to have guys that's going to have the mental fortitude. To, to you know, to be able to go through those tough, you know, playoff series, and those guys are definitely battle tested. Those guys are champions, and you know, those guys are always going to be emotionally stable. You know, young guys, you know, sometimes can be up, sometimes they can be down, but you know, those veterans, you know, they're emotional, they're emotionally stable, and can keep the locker room in check, and also on the court they can read plays and kind of know what's going to happen before the play happens. And so those were big, you know, additions, you know, Andre Godala and this year having, you know, Trevor Ariza, I think those are key additions. 
Uh, Norris, I just want to ask you about uh, Bam. What is unique play style? Like, do you have any player comparison in mind from like past now? Like, you know, I actually don't, man. Um, he's a one on one. I don't, I don't have any comparison that I can think of right off the top of my head that plays like Bam. Um, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I really don't. His Twitter is just so unique, right? Yeah, he is so unique. Yeah, he's unique. Yeah, he's unique because he can – obviously, he can block shots. He's a great athlete. But he can he can also play in the dribble handoffs and make those pocket passes and skip passes, and short roll or roll all the way to the basket. You know, he, he's, he's, he's definitely different. <laughs> Bam is Every, different. Everyone just throws out the KG comparisons for him. So. Yeah, I mean, this – I mean, you gotta, you know, KG is a legend now. You know? Yeah, I don't just, I don't just throw legends' names out there like that. I just don't do that. But I can, I can see where somebody would say that. But his offensive game has a, has a long way to go before he can be like, you know, KG. For sure. But he's he, he's definitely defensively and playmaking ability wise, he's definitely kind of similar to KG. I can see that. All right, and then. A question that I want to ask you, Norris, is looking at this Miami Heat team, uh, for you personally, what do you think is the ceiling for this Heat team come playoff time? Well, I believe anything is possible, actually, with this season. You know, you have injuries, you have, you know, coronavirus, you have, you know, teams with new additions. Um, I believe that Anything is possible. So the ceiling, um, I mean, obviously, I don't know ceiling. I believe, you know, they can, they have a chance if they stay healthy and play well, they have a legit chance of, you know, possibly, you know, winning a championship. <laughs> it depends on, you know, obviously a lot has to go right. But, you know, I believe that, you know, they have as good as a chance as anybody else coming out the Eastern Conference. Obviously, you know, with the injuries in, in Brooklyn, you know, they're not, Right now, it's looking like they're not going to be 100%. Um, Philadelphia, they haven't proven that they can perform well in the playoff moments. Milwaukee hasn't proven that either. So, you know, I believe Miami has just as good a chance as anybody of making it out of the East and having a chance to play in the finals if, you know, if if everything works well together. Yeah, I always say this, man. If you got Jimmy, you have Yeah. It's going to be tough, though. It's definitely going to be tough, but you know, I believe, like I said, anything is possible with this year, with this season. All right, Norris. I had one last question I wanted to ask you before we close. Um, you've had you've experienced a lot of different funny moments from the Harlem Shake video to all the video bombs, photo bombs that you guys have had. Do you have a favorite moment from all of those different memories? A favorite moment? Uh... There's so many. I know it's probably hard to Yeah, see. I'm about to say, it's, it's, <laughs> it's hard to pick one moment out of all of them, but the Harlem Shake video was epic. <laughs> I must say that. And we did that the day before we were playing the game. Like, so we had to win that next game, you know? So, yeah, I, if I had to pick one, there's so many different moments that, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's I, yeah, I'll just say the Harlem Shake just, you know, because that's the one that everyone knows. But 
it's there's so many different moments that you know it's hard to pick one honestly. Where'd you get your outfit inspo from? I know you had the overalls with the basketball. <laughs> yeah, I was I was I was NC Hammer. So you know the you know the guy MC Hammer. Oh yeah, I can't touch yeah. the Yeah, I was yep, <laughs> so I was I was NC Hammer. <laughs> oh, I got you. That, that, I yeah, that. with the flat top. You know, MC Hammer used to have a flat top too back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit of style. <laughs> And then, Jules, what about you? You got a question to ask, Norris? Hi. I wanted to ask, what was your favorite hip uh, hop to listen to before games? Say it one more time. What your favorite hype to listen to before games? Um, you talking about back then or now? Either one. Um, Back then... I don't even. Back then, I probably had to say like all of the lights. Um, all of the lights by Kanye West was. Kanye was, West, was hot. Kanye yeah, that was that was a nice <laughs> song. And uh, I used to listen to what else I used to listen to before the games. Um, Nelly. It was a song by Nelly, uh, "Heart of a Champion." Banger. Out of that banger. That was my song. That was my championship song ever since high school. I will always listen to that before every any championship game I played, you know, district championship, regional, state championship, horizon league championship, world championship, even out here in Europe. Before every championship game, I always listen to Heart of a Champion. Um and then now now I I, I listen to like this like motivational um this motivational playlist by you know Earl Thomas. I mean Eric Eric Thomas E T. You know he has he has this uh, he has like the, these albums motivational speeches and I listen to it. The one I listen to the most is called Beast Mode. Pre game motivation. You love to see it. Oh yeah, it, his his the, the song start off. It's not a song, but like it starts off by saying, "Are you gonna be a lion or a sheep?" And when I hear that, it's like I get locked in. Beast mode is activated after that line. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, then, Norris, so before we end it, I just got two more questions to ask you. Um, the first one that I want to ask you is, you know, you've gotten to play with the Miami Heat and you've gotten a chance to play in other places as well outside of the NBA. As you mentioned earlier, you're living in France right now. So, you know, I want to ask, you know, have you, you know, being in these various places, has it, have you been able to use that heat culture in the other places you've been and sort of used it for your advantage? Yeah, absolutely. The the, the consistency, the discipline that I have in the day-to-day habits of, you know, working out, training, um, being focused, um, being emotionally stable, you know, in these different environments, you know, I learned all that in college and I learned all of those things playing, you know, for the Miami Heat. And so, yeah, I definitely take it with me everywhere I go. And, you know, that championship pedigree, you know, goes with me everywhere I go. And so it's like now every, every game I play, 
it's like I'm so calm in every game because there's no game that's going to be bigger than the NBA Finals. And so, you know, there's no game that's too big for me. There's no game that I'm going to be nervous or anything like that, you know, and that's because I was fortunate enough to play, you know, in Miami. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one last question I want to ask is, you know, obviously it's been a few years since you've left the Heat. I want to know, like, how does it feel to know that Heat fans, especially fans like us, still love you to this day? Man, it's pretty cool. Anytime, anytime people can acknowledge you for the person that you are and acknowledge you for the work that you've put in, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool feeling, you know. I, I never imagined, you know, as a kid from Dayton, you know, having fans around the world, you know, having fans in Miami, in Florida. Uh, I never really, you know, imagined that. And so, you know, I appreciate all the love. I appreciate all the fans. And, um, you know, as much as the fans love me and things of that nature, I, I try my best to try to make, you know, the fans happy when I'm out there performing and out there playing on the court. And so, you know, I appreciate that. You know, I'm always going to try to do my best to, you know, put my best effort forward to be the best player in person that I can be. And when people recognize that and, and support that, it's a, it's a cool feeling. Shout you out. Deserve it. You deserve it, man. You've, you've come so far. For sure. Man, I appreciate you guys. So anyway, yeah, thank you, Norris, so much. You know, thank you so much for hopping on today's episode. It really means a lot to all of us. And then for all those listening, uh, make sure to check out Norris's podcast, Believe in the Miami Heat. It's very great to listen to. And with that being said, thank you all for listening to today's episode. Follow us on Twitter at HeatVersTheWorld underscore. And we'll see you guys next time with a brand new episode. We're out. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time with a brand new episode of the Heat vs. the World podcast.